Hello, Ichabod Crane here. The forensic science has led me to tell you that the following podcast contains spoilers for the movie Sleepy Hollow. Welcome to Diabolical, the show where four long-suffering friends compete to improve film's most dastardly schemes. I'm your host, Craig, and this week's movie is Sleepy Hollow. So, we must use our brains, assisted by reason, using up-to-date scientific techniques, and let's get diabolical. Welcome to this week's episode. As host for this week, I'm Burgomaster of the Panel of Peril, who will compete against me at the close of the show to come up with the best alternative plan for the movie villain of the week, before we vote to name this week's most diabolical. As ever, I am joined by three Dutch farmers. Please introduce yourselves and tell us true. Besides Sleepy Hollow, what is your favourite example of gothic horror in any medium? Adam. Hello, my Dutch farming name is Dick de Stiff Nope. <laughs> and my, well, there's loads of brilliant Hammer films, isn't there? So, but I'd say one I watched quite recently was very gothic in style, which was uh, The Changeling from uh, 1980. Changeling, yes. Holy shit, Changeling, yeah. Yes, The Changeling, it's very good. Yeah, I saw Gaz uh, vigorously shaking his head when you suggested there were loads of good Hammer films. I think yeah. there's three or four. <laughs> three or four, right, Gus? There might be one. Uh, push. It's not Well, r- real horror fans, real horror fans uh, appreciate Hammer. Where do you stand on MC Hammer, Gus? Oh, I fucking love MC Hammer. I've been listening well, to there it you on go. Spotify. <laughs> to be fair, Gus was always ahead of the curve with MC Hammer. And you had MC Hammer's album yeah. like when it came out, right? Oh, all of them, yeah. <laughs> on tape cassette. <laughs> is, is Too Legit to Quit your favourite example of gothic horror, Gus? And if not, what is it? I'm Gaz, and my Dutch name, and I looked this up in Encyclopedia Britannica, it's a real Dutch name, so it is Gaz Fokjemoda. <laughs> <laughs> and my favourite example of gothic horror is either the book or the film, not so much the series, of Interview with the Vampire. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am a big fan of the film. I did buy that book, and I read it, and I didn't like it as much as the film. Uh, and then I didn't read any more books ever. So thanks, Anne Rice. <laughs> you put me right wow, that is a, a ringing slagging off. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Lord Manly Supreme, can you give us your Dutch name and uh, your your favourite example of gothic horror? I can. My Dutch name is Ben van der Steiner. <laughs> what did I just say there? Ben, ben van der Steiner. That's not my name. It's Ben no. de van der Steiner. <laughs> ben de van der Steiner. <laughs> That's what I want. I want two days in there. Ben de van der Steiner. There we go. <laughs> and my favourite example of gothic horror is the Bram Stoker's Dracula novel. I love it. I oh, love yeah. the way it's written from these letters from different points of view and it's yeah. just, it's amazing. Yeah. I've always wished they would do a really good mini-series of that because although I, I absolutely love the Francis Ford Coppola movie, it's not the book <laughs> at all. Uh, so it'd be really cool to see a, a faithful adaptation of that. As for me, I kind of said that I would come up with a better name than this, but I haven't. It's Craig Van Morrison. <laughs> <laughs> lazy, lazy That's exactly swine. the same. Because <laughs> it's Van Morrison now. It can't get better than that. And my favourite piece of gothic horror media is Jack and the Haunted House, the ninth episode of the third season of Samurai Jack. 
Which, oh, yeah, uh, that's a good one. The one with the haunted house. Yeah. yeah, the black and white. Yeah, it's amazing. Time now to delve into this week's film and its year of release. In world events of 1999, the film world said goodbye to Jurassic Park alumni Bob Peck and Richard Kiley, and director Stanley Kubrick, who left us with the fantastic eyes wide shut. OGQ Desmond Llewellyn also left us with a swan song. In his final 007 outing, the world is not enough, as distributor MGM celebrated its 75th anniversary. Star Wars was back bothering the box office with the grape juice box come fine wine that is The Phantom Menace, while American Beauty swept the awards season, with Sleepy Hollow snatching the Academy Award for Best Art Direction away from it. Sleepy Hollow brought together a familiar ensemble of Tim Burton regulars to flesh out Washington Irving's classic creepy tale of Ichabod Crane and the Headless Horseman in what feels like a perfect confluence of artist and subject. The film takes the short story's protagonist, gossipy, superstitious school mom Ichabod, and flips his character entirely. Now a sceptical big city detective, Constable Crane's rivalry for the affections of Katrina Van Tassel, with her erstwhile suitor Brom Van Brunt, is downplayed, and the conclusion of the short story, in which the superstitious Ichabod is run out of town by a hoax horseman who nails him with a pumpkin, becomes a mere red herring in the film, which reveals the Hessian to be very much a real and deadly supernatural apparition controlled by a vengeful resident at the heart of a town conspiracy. Now, it's time for a game. We're going to be trying out a brand new game this week. <laughs> Play me false once, tell me true twice. <laughs> this is a brand new concept, so I'll explain the rules. <laughs> I'll tell ye two truths about Sleepy Hollow and one falsehood. All you need to do is identify the falsehood. Number one. The second time we see the red cardinal bird in the film, an animatronic is used. But prior to this, the production attempted to pass off a live pigeon they dyed red and scruffed up. <laughs> Number two. Actor Johnny Depp based Ichabod Crane on Angela Lansbury. And number three. Actor Christopher Lee advised director Tim Burton that in reality, the faces of heads following decapitation would appear serene, as the severing of nerves with a sharp edge appears quite painless and the eyes appear quite unconscious within three to four seconds. That one will be true, because Christopher Lee is an expert on, um, or was an expert on real deaths from his experience during the war. Yeah, Lord of the Rings, he gave a lot of advice as well, didn't he, in that regard? Oh, Mr. Peter, Peter Jackson, can I just talk to you a minute? These dead folk don't look really dead. Could you make them more really dead, please? <laughs> Gonna have it blooming oh, yeah, mate. Though, yeah, you? mate. No worries, mate. Yeah, I'll go and I'll get right on that. Cuckoo, cuckoo. Peter Jackson suddenly become Australian, is he? I thought it was Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> it's all the same down there, <laughs> down that side of the world. It's all the same. Oh, holy shit. Oh, dear. That joke's going to appeal to our core listeners, our core fan base. <laughs> They're going to bloody love it. Peter Jackson is an Aussie. <laughs> Need a reminder of any of those facts? No, it's number one. Yeah, the beard one's the, the falsy. I'm going with number two. Oh, I successfully threw you all off by twisting the story of Christopher Lee telling Peter Jackson about uh, uh, what happens to people you. when they're stabbed. <laughs> That's the fake one. I switched out fact number two at the last minute when I saw an interview with Johnny Depp saying that he'd based Dick about on Angela Lansbury because that was amazing. That's so good. But the original number two fact would have been 
The Hessian's toothy snog with Lady Van Tassel was Christopher Walken's first on-screen kiss. <laughs> is that also a fact? Also a fact. <laughs> wow. wow. Rather crazy. Apparently he's really shy. Miranda Richardson, they were in a bet on the set to see who could get him to talk the most. And she did it by just asking him constant questions. Because <laughs> apart from that, he didn't, didn't speak, apparently. don't know if he was doing that to stay in character as the mute Hessian. But apparently yeah, everyone thought he was really shy. All right, now let's find out what the panel of peril thought of the film before we throw open the chat to talk in more detail about our favourite aspects, sequences and lines. Let's let's kick off with Turner, because he's keen. Let's see your thoughts. As it was Tim Burton was directing this, what failed film did he come to this film from? Cancelled film. Superman Lives. It's got to be Superman. Yes. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Is it's that your opinion on the film? Hot off the press. That's yeah. insane. That's yeah, Superman lives. That That's it. Goodbye. Red hot triv in early doors. Good night, Turner. Well, <laughs> interestingly, <laughs> imagine that because physically, you probably would have expected Nick Cage to be a a more obvious casting choice for Ichabod Crane, right? Johnny Depp was always the choice, though, wasn't he? Um, they they considered mm. others. Uh, I've got Daniel Day Lewis, Liam Neeson, and Brad Pitt, but it was always the intention of Burton to cast. Johnny Depp and he was just going through the motions. Liam Neeson would would look a lot like the like drawings as well, right? Yeah. But um yeah, I really enjoyed this rewatch. I haven't seen it. I can't remember last time. Again, it's probably fifteen years or something like that since I last seen it. And straight away, uh, I, I said at the time after I watched it, uh, it got me in the mood for Hammer Horror. So I've watched a couple of Hammer Horror films since then, and the whole film is just. It's like claustrophobic feeling, isn't it? Sometimes, and they get that. It's the same way that the the Hammer horror films used to make you feel. It's just like the, just the sets and and this, the feeling you used to get, and you used to feel this tension and the way it's shot. It's like a, some of the old black and white films. Like it's this like a monochromatic type of tinge to it. And I think they talked about filming it in black and white at one point, but that was chinned off. You know, because of the blue filter they have on it, the yeah. blood had to be orange. Yeah. To appear red. It's Tim Burton's tribute to, to Hammer and to his early influences yeah. of, of film. Um, and it's just written all over yeah. it. And it's really, really well done. And I don't think anybody other than Tim Burton could have brought this gothic sort of classic vibe to this film than him. And yeah, yeah I, I I really enjoyed it. And it's just a shame there's not been more films. I guess there's Crimson Peak, I suppose, is in this kind of same vein, really, the gothic kind of look. But there's nothing like this proper horror. Crimson Peak, the one uh, on the submarine with Gene Hackman. Uh, Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. And I think uh, it was a great decision to make the forests a, a set. Because mm. you could do that on location, but something about a set that, like you say, feels claustrophobic. Oh, apparently uh, birds and and bugs started uh, living on the set. Yeah. It was so so realistic. Yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised. I think they used quite a lot of um, actual, like, organic material for it all, didn't they? So you can tell there's a lot of, uh, especially with the uh, the outdoor, they built that village, didn't they? Yeah. The outdoor shots, and then they built some of the interior yeah, yeah. shots in those buildings as well. So it's really, it's just got an authentic feel to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Lord Manly Supreme, take the floor. Take it away. Well, like Turner, I'd forgotten just how good this film was. It's probably my first rewatch since we all went to cinema and watched it. 
Yeah. But it's got this this kind of genuinely intriguing mystery of the horseman. And it's kind of set up almost like a Sherlock Holmes novel. You've got Crane mm. come in with his kind of science know-how from the big city to solve it. Yeah. So I, I love that part of it. I'm, I'm a big Sherlock Holmes fan anyway. Yeah, me too. As I was thinking about it during the week, it's probably Tim Burton's best looking film, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us we talked so. about the yeah. sets. It's amazing. Maybe, maybe Sweeney Todd, but I didn't like, I didn't enjoy the subject as much, but mm. it was like a progression of this in terms of visual flair. Yeah. But yeah. But also the costumes and then like, like you mentioned, mm. the kind of desaturated atmosphere that's yeah. kind of only punctuated by the kind of, it's almost radiant, isn't it? The, the red blood. Yeah, it's like it looks like candle wax. It's so red and thick. I love it. Pitch perfect for the film. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Then you add to that the the cast, and for me, you've got Peak Burton. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think yeah. This film slots neatly into my top three alongside uh, Beetlejuice and Edward, in no particular order. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, I also love love Big Fish. It's obviously very different, but yeah, that's another one of my yeah. top ones. Yeah. Funny you mentioned Sherlock Holmes. I th- I really love that this adaptation wasn't, you know, slavish to the to the source material. I, I mean, it only kept the characters' names. That's the only similarity, really. Right. Yeah. Joe, I was I, when I was watching it, and um, I'd have done the research afterwards and things. I thought it, it was in the same way. It was similar to like what they did with Jurassic Park. They they kept sort of the original sort of idea. But then they changed the characters and stuff like that, and it's much a better film for that as well, for sure. It's really, really good. Yeah. Um, you know who they got um, in uncredited to do some script touching up? Uh, yeah, I think so. Tom Stoppard. Yeah, Tom oh, did Stoppard. They? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah I did read that somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what I was going to say about Sherlock Holmes is, um, apart from Angela Lansbury, another actor that, Depp was trying to channel was Basil Rathbone, so ah, he okay. obviously had yeah. that in mind as well. Yeah, just go- talk about the source material again. It's obviously quite far from from the original the original book, this story, but it's so Burton esque. You've got yeah. like the misunderstood outsider. Mm. You've got him finding his purpose in this community, mm. and then yeah. obviously you've got the gothic Im- imagery as well. It's like it's yeah. signature Tim Burton. It's uh, it's really nice. Yeah, it's great. I, th- I think he he probably um, came to this project. You know, if if Superman Lives had continued, maybe he might not have been involved. So it's, I think it's kind of fortunate that he, you know, it's, things went wrong for him in one sense, and then the, it moved on, and he came to this one. So. Yeah, as you know, I'm I'm not a huge superhero film fan, so mm. I'd much rather have this than than a, than a Superman film. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about the Tim Burton Batman movie though? Because it's not really like a what we think of as a superhero movie today. Do you know, I don't remember that one very well, the Billy Crystal one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember it very well, but I do remember Batman Turns very well, and I think yeah. Tim Burton went yeah. very weird with that, and I loved it. Yeah. I yeah, yeah I I, that's Returns, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Definitely, it's my Batman Turns is in the top three Burton films, hundred percent. So back to uh, Sleepy Hollow, you enjoyed your rewatch. I did, yes. Uh, it's very good. It's strange watching a good Tim Burton film because I'd sort of forgotten that he was capable of it based on the last <laughs> decade, <laughs> if not even longer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it looks gorgeous. It's got a classic 
Danny Elfman's score. Yeah. Johnny Depp's a garbage person, but he's a tremendous on-screen performer, or used to be. Yeah. It's, it's a tremendous performance from him. Yeah. A hilarious p- villain performance from Crystal Walken. Yeah. <laughs> Which, uh, ah! yes. Ah! Ah! <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's probably his, his best looking film, and I think it's certainly not by today's standards. But a criticism of Burton is always that he's shit at action scenes. But I think the action scenes within this are actually really yeah. really good, particularly the um, the stagecoach chase near the end of the film. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking of the Willow stagecoach chase. Yes. While I was yeah. watching it, I was thinking, wow, Tim Burton's nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> the three-way fight between Crane, Brom Van Brunt, and the Horseman as well, where he mm. stabs Crane and throws him over his shoulder. Mm. That's really well choreographed. That was uh, Ray Park. Yeah, I was going to say, you know who the stuntman was, Ray Park. So, you know, it's, uh, was he's, it? yeah. yeah, and he was fresh from the filming of Phantom Menace and it was filmed on the very same set as well. I was going to say it's the same studios, yeah. Phantom Menace is shit though, lest we forget. <laughs> Phantom Menace is a big pile of shit. No, it's a juice box come fine wine. I told you that earlier. It has been established. It's canon. <laughs> <laughs> well, talking of uh, action sequences and Ray Park stunts that uh, segues neatly onto anybody's favourite sequences in the film. I've got a favourite moment which is very very early on. It's during essentially the opening credit sequence of Ichabod travelling to Sleepy Hollow and there's a shot of the carriage going across a moor with loads of creepy trees. It's just silhouetted, yeah. completely mm. black. And then Danny Elfman's score just goes, Rah! and it's just, yeah. <laughs> as Danny Elfman's credit appears on the screen as well, the music just soars <laughs> with like the choir. I was just like, fuck, that is so good. Yeah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> There's a few moments like that throughout that, that you sort of go, it's almost take your breath away kind of moments where you just go, you have to sit back and go, fair dues. That part in particular brought back the Night of the Hunter to me. Yes. There's a bit of an homage there, but it was yeah. really gorgeous. There's one other scene in particular that there that I was just like, that is Night of the Hunter all over. And that is where you first see the windmill and the windmill's framed against right. the uh, the yeah. horizon. And, and I think it's the yeah. setting sun in the background. It's like an, a bit of an orangey sort of, I think, I can't remember, or like a yellowy, I don't remember. It's dusk, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I was just like, that's... Night of the Hunter all over when they first come into that little village on the... I thought that that windmill shot was more of a homage to Sam Raimi's Army of Darkness myself. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of windmills in that, isn't there? Yeah, there's, there's, there's one, one very prominent windmill. Oh, is there? <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember that film very well. Did you know that the windmill obviously explodes, but that's not like due to oil. It's due to the fact that flour is more combustible than gunpowder. Wow. I did wonder well, that, you know. so I'm glad you cleared that up for me. I knew you'd know that with your weapons training. To be careful the next time I'm baking a cake then, bloody hell. <laughs> I was like, how the fuck, honestly, I was I was watching the film, I was like, how the fuck did that explode? It couldn't be that much lamps and stuff in there. And I looked it up and, it's, and it was like, yeah, it's uh, flour is more combustible and gunpowder when it's in the air and it's just go, you just light a match. And so if you ever go into um, a bakery and you're displeased with their offerings, just throw a bag of... Uh, flower in the air and then chuck a match and run. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to raise the stakes here, Craig, if you don't mind. Yeah, please do. Michael Gambon's death. Yeah, that was going to be my favourite. Yes. Unbelievable. Literally raising the stakes. Great. Yeah, Yeah, that that was was mine as well. 
yeah, the uh, elf, the headman, the uh, headman, the horseman can't <laughs> get into the church, so he yeah. yeah tosses a piece of fence through the window, impales him, drags him out right through the guy's heart. <laughs> yeah, but the uh, the way that he uses the fence to frame the guy's neck as well. <laughs> yeah, Brilliant. that's so good. Drags him out to the fence and then lops his head off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's Beautiful. great. Isn't it? That's my favourite bit as well. What about you, Turner? I just like the whole way there's there's still comedy in this all this macabre decapitation and stuff like that. And yeah. my particular favourite is when the magistrate gets his head cut off and his head spins around spins. on top of his body. And I was <laughs> yeah. like, oh, oh, that's so good. And I was just like, it's just what is required because it's there's so much tension for a while, isn't there? The, horse, yeah. the horseman keeps coming and then that, and he knows and, and it's great. And it spins and finally, oh, fantastic. Also, a great bit of comedy in what is an otherwise deeply horrific moment is when the child's hiding under the floorboards and the horseman hears him and turns around just the way he turns around with no head (laughs) (laughs) that's probably the only actually horrific scene in the film i'd say all all the kills are quite funny apart from that one which is slightly upsetting yeah it is i thought yeah i couldn't remember that one and i was like oh the kid will get away they always get away you'd be the one that witnesses (laughs) no Yeah, it's always a bit. It's always a bit creepy when you see a child, or it's alluded to that a child has died on screen. So, yeah, yeah, just pulling the tie on his bag as he uh, exits the property. Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, Johnny Depp's very funny after Ichabod first sees the horseman, and he's in bed going, "Horseman, headless," and everyone's going, "Yes, we did tell you." <laughs> <laughs> no, you did not understand because you were not there. <laughs> I love it every time he picks up one of his implements. Yeah, that's one of the. Yeah. Every, he's kind of looking curiously at the implement. His, his acting, uh, Johnny Depp's performance with those implements is just brilliant. Yeah, like you said earlier, I forgot that he can give such a thoughtful and honest performance because he's become such a parody of himself since he started doing Pirates of the Caribbean. Everything's mm-hmm. kind of this slurred speech nonsense. Mm-hmm. Watching interviews with him about Sleepy Hollow and the, the thought he put into it and where he was. At the time, it's a sad state of affairs, but it's great to go yeah. back and, and see what he was capable of then. His performance in this is fantastic, but that's no way endorsing him as a private individual, shall we say. Yeah. yeah. A little bit of trivia that might interest you guys. The set was built on Hambledon Estate. Ah, yes. Just outside London and about 10 minutes down the road from High Wycombe. Yes. Uh-huh. Buckinghamshire. Where we happen to know they filmed Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. I used to yes. have a sign, a crew sign from that Charlie and the Chocolate Factory set, but it's WB uh, Lock. Yeah, it's vanished. Yeah. <laughs> well, they filmed Batman there, so that's why Tim Burton was happy to go back there to film Sleepy Hollow because the original intention was to film near Sleepy Hollow in in upstate New York. Yeah, I think Burton. In in the old days, he used to like filming as far away from America as he could, so no studio execs could interfere as well. I'm sure ah, I remember him saying good. that in an interview. I was going to give you a bit of trivia since we were talking about Johnny Depp and his, his implements. Triv away. He was talking about the implements that Crane uses, and but then he said his favourite one, and I thought he was going to say, you know, the crazy magnifying glass or the poker yeah. or something. But he says in, his, in the first scene, or the first dish scene, at the courthouse with Christopher Lee. Behind him, there's a guy 
in like a horrible device that's like a, a individual human sized cage. The Iron Maiden. It's kind of like an Iron Maiden, but it's not. It's like um. They're called gibbets. Like slaps. Is that what they're called? Yeah, it might be a gibbet. Yeah, and he said that he kept that. <laughs> so of all really? the set souvenirs you could have, <laughs> that's the one he chose. Give me the uh, gibbet. <laughs> I watched an interview with uh, Christina uh, Ricky. I'm going to call Ricci. or, or Chris, Ricci, Ricci. Or, I've just got to call her Christina yeah. R, just to save any. Uh... <laughs> call her Christina Aguilera. Save the confusion. <laughs> well, I watched a, an interview with her, and um, it was fucking really creepy because the guy doing the interview was like, "Ah, oh, so I see you dyed your blonde hair there. How did the guys react to that? Ah, like that?" And I was yeah. like, "You fucking creep." And she sort of just goes, uh, it was a wig, uh, and just says, yeah, I've worn a wig before, so, yeah. I was like, what a fucking stupid opening question. Ridiculous. But then he does go on to the film. It was a Dennis Penis. <laughs> no, it was just this fucking... I'll, I'll, sh- I'll, tr- I'll find it for you later and, sh- and show you the interview. It's just, the guy is just a fucking creep. Anyway, I just thought... We've come a long way now that it was that nobody would think about asking a question like that. It's oh, I'm afraid a... you're very wrong about that. Watch any of the well, nowadays. Yeah, watch any of the press circuit stuff around Marvel. They ask all the men like, uh, "What was your uh, fitness regime like?" And they ask all the women, "What was what was it like getting into your costume?" Shit like that. So yeah. Scarlett Johansson is famous for uh, telling off interviewers for asking this get, stupid yeah, question. Yeah, get fucked. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, before we move on to the plot synopsis, anybody want to say anything else about the film? Yeah, any favourite lines? I've got an absolute belter. I love the delivery of it. It was when uh, Ichabod Crane finds a spider in his bedroom and he yeah. jumps up onto the chair and it crawls <laughs> yeah. under the bed. And when uh, when Master, is it Masbeth, young Masbeth, yeah. looks under the bed, he sees something under there. And he, he explains that there's something under there. And he goes, help me move the bed. And Ichabod Crane goes, no, I mustn't. You do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, I, didn't, I haven't got a favourite line because I just got too caught up in how the film looks and, and all that mm. kind of stuff. So the only other thing I'd say about it is I thought, again, as we've mentioned on a few films, the CGI was, uh, was well used and like I said, augmented the rest of the film really well. I particularly liked, and I thought it stood up quite well, was the bit with the when the Hessian gets his head back and it sort of reanimates his flesh and stuff onto his head. And I thought, oh, that still looks quite good. So, yeah, yeah cool. so kudos yeah, to them for taking the time with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Kudos to them for not overdoing it because that was one thing you mentioned before, Sim Burton's kind of catalogue since Sleepy Hollow. It's kind of descended more and more into a CG generated fog, basically. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think they got it just right in this. In a way that I didn't even know as well, because I had kind of assumed a lot of filmmaking techniques on Charlie and Chocolate Factory that I was wrong about. Like a lot of the uh, Oompa Loompa dances, there are a lot of them are Deep Roy dancing, but then there's a lot of animatronic little puppets. And squirrels as well. So he's kind of lost touch with a bit of that uh, practical filmmaking yeah. stuff that he did. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah, he just seems to have gone got off the rails a bit, hasn't he? So it happens to to some people in in any field as as you get older, you, you just stop yeah. being as good at your whatever you're doing, don't you? Yeah, stop giving as much 
Fs. <laughs> My favourite line is an exchange between Ichabod and... Is he the magistrate in MacDiarmid's character? He's a doctor. A doctor. Yeah, Richard Griffiths is the magistrate. Yeah, he hasn't exhumed Widow Winship's body. It's another kill. And uh, Ichabod yeah. says, you moved the body? Yes, you must never move the body. Why? Because. And then he just walks <laughs> off. <laughs> Sleepy Hollow sees the titular town beset by beheadings and the fretful townsfolk seemingly ignorant of any motive. However, Ichabod Crane gradually uncovers a conspiracy involving several of the town elders and led by Lady Van Tassel, who chanced upon the Hessian as a child and robbed his head from his grave that she might use it to magically command the headless horseman. The victims, it transpires, were all those who directly or indirectly threatened her claim on the Van Garrett and Van Tassel estates the former of which was lately held by Peter Van Garrett, the man who evicted her impoverished family from the Archer household and the first on-screen recipient of her vengeance. Pledging herself to Satan in order to supernaturally reanimate the Hessian and preying upon the fears and desires of the town elders in order to blackmail them into complicity, she goes so far as murdering her own twin and an innocent servant girl whose body she uses to fake her own death. But ultimately, her schemes are undone when Crane returns the horseman's head and with it, his free will, allowing him to take her down with him into the depths of hell. So, that didn't go great for her, but how did the panel of peril rate Van Tassel's plan? Was it a good concept and how well was it pulled off, Adam? Well, it kind of snowballed, didn't it? I think she thought, oh, just bump off a few people and it kind of thought, oh, no, they know something. Oh, shit. Oh, they know something. But then maybe his mum and dad might know something or her husband or a kid. And it just rolls on and she just goes gets in over her head. So really. Like murder Pringles. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Once you pop, you can't stop. (laughs) There's your episode quote for sure. It's It's like murder Pringles. Murder Pringles. Uh, yes, yes, I, would con- I concur <laughs> with that, yes. <laughs> and you know, just like Pringles aren't good for you, murder Pringles also aren't good for you. Oh, don't tell me that. <laughs> 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 All right, Gaz. Hey, it's a really good plan, as they go, uh, uh, using f- an unkillable warrior from hell to take out your enemies. I think it's pretty solid. If I had the enemies uh, in my real life to uh, take out that's what I would do do? unquestionably (laughs) I think what you mean is if you had the Hessian you would take out the enemies that you do have in real life right (laughs) (laughs) if you had the Hessian you'd find some enemies somewhere like the person who slides at the supermarket I'm making my business to find enemies (laughs) someone who cut you off (laughs) fucking bastard post me five minutes late to pick up your bloody birthday cards (laughs) I said so I said so (laughs) <laughs> All right, Lady Mantassel. Wait, I've written that wrong. Lord Manly Supreme. <laughs> I like Lady Mantassel. <laughs> I wish that was my name. <laughs> if I manage to stage an amazing comeback and win this series, I'm going to be known as Lady Mantassel. <laughs> biggity bong, biggity bong. I'm going with Gaz on this. I think it was a pretty genius plan. It was very bad luck on her part that the city sent out someone who had a, a grounding in science. It was the only way she was discovered. 
That's I'm giving it a 10. A 10 floor rating. Nice. Wow. I think you'll be in extremely generous, possibly generous to a fault, I might, might add. It's not like a bloody, a mad plan like we've had in recent weeks where there's just no planning whatsoever. Yeah. I think a lot of thought went into it. She bloody married into a family and everything. Yeah, a lot of thought's gone into it. Yeah, oh yeah, I know, but she didn't think about the the external factors that might impact her plan. She doesn't need to. She's got an immortal warrior to take yeah. out any external factors. <laughs> I think your theory that it got out of hand, that comes undone when you see that the horseman doesn't attack anyone other than his targets unless he has mm. to. So mm. Crane won't get out of his way and he still doesn't kill him. Gives him a you know a flesh wound and Yeah, but he's got that he's got that little thing underneath his bed at the time, hasn't he? To protect him. In his bed, yeah. Not yeah. all the time. Yeah. I thought it was just like a thing that like a charm that followed him around or whatever. No, it's when you're in that area, yeah. Oh. She does a new one in the church, doesn't she? Yeah. Proximity hex. Part of the plan, I guess, is that what unravels it. It's he's such a dedicated uh individual as well. So you know, he could have probably fucked off quite a few times, and he almost does, but he just perseveres, yeah. doesn't he? Even though he's not the the sort of uh, most courageous of chaps. Dedication's what you need. That's it. If you, <laughs> you want to be, be the best, record breaker. <laughs> This is the part of the show where the Panel of Peril compete for the title of this week's most diabolical. Up for grabs is two points for the winner, which will go towards the series leaderboard. As host this week, I'm at home advantage, so if my plan wins the vote, I only get one point. Lady Van Tassel wanted to exact her vengeance on the Van Garrett estate and claim it, along with the Van Tassel estate, for her own. And she tried to do this by selling her soul to Satan in exchange for control of an undead killing machine and seducing or threatening almost everyone in town into her twisted plot. But she failed, so what would we have done differently? And since it's the new trendy thing, I'll go first. (laughs) Lady Van Tassel's plot is as full of holes as Ichabod's mum. For one thing, (laughs) she murders her identical twin. But when she wants to fake her own death, she uses a different body. Duh! Not to mention, a dead woman's claim over her family estate might be legally wobbly. Having already seduced her way into the Van Tassel household prior to the events of the film, and with Peter Van Garrett's head the first we see get lopped off, she's in a fairly strong position to begin with, her main enemy revenged and the townsfolk suitably frightened. However, she grows too bold and too reckless in sending the Hessian after Van Garrett's heirs, inviting the attention of the NYPD. But her problems go back further than that. Her imagination when it comes to her Hessian slave is bewilderingly limited. I hear chopping, but I don't hear digging. (laughs) (laughs) The dead know not hunger nor fatigue, so with the Hessian's skull in hand, I would set him to work, axe in hand, first rebuilding the archer house, then developing the land around it in secret. Initially, he would fashion the wooden joists off-site, patrolling the foggy acres at dusk each day in plain sight, in order to help spread word of his grim presence among the gossipy townsfolk, who would then fear to tread upon the desecrated ground. I'd also make it known that this is where Van Garrett lost his head. Meanwhile, 
I would insist my husband make a kind offer to the newly twice-widowed Winship and her stepson Dirk to purchase from them the ruined and reputedly haunted land on which the ruins of the old Archer House stand. We'd offer a fair price, all things considered, and in their grief they'd be all too happy to see the back of it. The deeds in hand, all legal and binding, the building could begin in earnest. New houses would mysteriously appear overnight, with no labour costs, and sightings of the headless horseman suddenly a thing of the past, the land would simply appreciate in value. Soon, we'd have the capital to simply buy out the Van Garretts, at which point Baltus would mysteriously vanish. Also, I would have my family home restored. Interesting. So in a nutshell, my plan is to use my headless horseman uh, as kind of slave labour and get him to build like a, a nice estate on the land there. Do you recall in the windmill when we see Lady Van Tassel performing the ritual? Mm, yeah. Do you recall that she explains that the he- horseman is coming for his head back and that's how the ritual works? Yeah. How are you going to get him to build a house? Does what I tell him to. No, that's not correct. She needs a bit of their DNA with the skull and that's what's then the horseman thinks that it's go that that person has the head and that's why he goes after them. He's looking for his head, isn't he? In the film, but what I'm telling him to do is build houses. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> I put what I do is I put um, his skull in like a really high up place where he has to build houses to get up to. <laughs> that works. That works. Well. Could you just give me an example of the ritual? Just the ritual what, what is. The ritual is I, um, I climb up a tree and I put his head there and then I... <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> Do you put a sprig of, of sage in his shoe so, uh, you know, a nice reward of smell is his daily reward? And you're like, hmm, sage. Yeah. yeah. I'd say I do. Yeah. Good. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. I'm just sorry. I'm just checking all the boxes on my list. You've uh, <laughs> yeah. You've satisfied me. <laughs> yeah, you're the front runner so far. <laughs> Any more questions? Don't think so. <laughs> you don't think so? You're not. You're not. Not 100 sure. Uh, I'll get back to you tomorrow. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I've just got picture. I've just got visions of uh, the headless horseman trying to climb the tree and get his head. He can't. He has to build a house to get there. But you just attaching building materials <laughs> yeah. to him to fall into place as he goes. And then go, oh, not really. It's not there, mate. Sorry. Sorry to bother you. Go on. Go back to your tree. <laughs> You're missing a trick using the tree. You could put scaffolding up and then he, yeah. as he goes well, around. That's a lot of work, isn't it? I'll get him to do that to try and reach the tree. And then the next day I'll put it on top of the scaffolding. <laughs> Beautiful. All right. Uh, let's hear Lord Manly Supreme's plan. An uneasy fog drapes sleepy hollows, hodgepodge buildings like a wretched pelt. Somewhere amid the gloom, hooves squelch in thick mud, drawing nearer. Presently, a carriage emerges from the mist, coming to a halt outside a stately manor house. From the carriage, a hooded figure alights, lamp glow illuminating an elegant, embroidered frock as the door to the manor opens. Welcome home, Lady Van Tassel, says a young serving girl. Lady Van Tassel pulls down her hood and enters the house. See my things are taken to my quarters. But take the large trunk to the kitchen and leave it there unopened, she says. Ah, welcome home, my dear. Ruddy-cheeked Baltus Van Tassel sweeps into the hall. You look even more beautiful than when you left all those moons ago. 
I trust your trip was a success. Will we be welcoming our own herd of heifers in short order? Alas, I have not yet managed to secure as a herd, but I have learned much about those fine animals and how to rear them. Ah, tis a pity, but I am happy to hear your trip was valuable nonetheless. And I must say I am in awe of your love of these bovine creatures. Baltus notices a red sore on Lady Van Tassel's hand. Did yourself a mischief on your travels? he asks. Alas, my time spent among those noble creatures caused me to contract cowpox. Not to worry, I have been assured it is a mere trifle. All will be well. Marvellous. You'll be pleased to hear that plans for tomorrow's dinner are well advanced. Thank you, my dear Baltus. I'm so looking forward to catching up with our dear friends. Did Dirk van Garrett confirm his attendance? Uh, he did. He'll be here along with his boy. Wonderful. Now, if you don't mind, I shall retire for the evening. The next morning, pale sunlight cuts through the dawn mist. Lady Van Tassel rallies the serving girls and commences preparations for that evening's dinner. It is to be roast pig surprise, complete with a shiny red apple. It is arduous work, but as dusk falls and the guests begin to arrive, the Van Tassel homestead is filled with the heavy smell of pork. Thank you for your efforts today, girls, Lady Van Tassel addresses the serving girls. Please rest a while, as this evening will be a busy one. As the girls leave, Lady Van Tassel strides to the large trunk. She takes a key from around her neck. The trunk creaks open. Lady Van Tassel looks down at the creature inside. Its head is swollen to a monstrous size. Its eyes are entirely closed. Its lips swollen and of a livid colour. Its face and surface of the whole body are covered with pustules, from which seeps a pus-like matter. The miserable thing has the appearance of a putrid mass, and scarcely the semblance of a human form remains. Lady Van Tassel reaches for a nearby basting brush and dips its bristles in the pus. She slowly bastes the pig in it, a crooked smile upon her lips. That evening the guests eat drink and are merry. But over the coming days, one by one, they fall ill, succumbing to a fatal illness that leaves their bodies sickeningly swollen and covered in sores. The newspapers report of a terrible outbreak of smallpox in the hamlet of Sleepy Hollow. They also tell of the miraculous escape of one Lady Van Tassel, who, despite losing her husband and stepdaughter to the wicked disease, survived thanks to a previous cowpox infection that inoculated her. The only consolation in her tragic tale is that she stands to inherit a small fortune. Oh. And uh, yes. is that scientifically accurate, that if you get cowpox, it stops you getting smallpox? That's how they discovered the inoculation. Yeah, with the milkmaid um, is how they discovered it, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Is a good plan, that. When did they find out that was uh, inoculation against smallpox? So the basis for the vaccination began in about 1796, so about three years before this, before the film was set. Very good. Whoa. Very, very good. Tied up with a neat little bow. <laughs> so what was the creature in the chest? Someone with smallpox. Oh, someone with smallpox, oh, okay. Because that's how it's passed from the, uh, the, the seeping matter from the pustules. So that's why she basted uh, the pork. Ew. How does that taste? Delicious. <laughs> like, <apple>. <laughs> <laughs> like custard. Human custard. All <laughs> <laughs> mm, mm, right. Yeah. It's pretty solid. Yeah. It's pretty solid. <laughs> I, I'm very proud of that one, I must say. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is um, yeah, the extra time is obviously paid dividends for you there. 
it's been so long. <laughs> so many weeks of us just one up each other in the batshit stakes that <laughs> when someone does a plan that works, it just kind of stops you for a minute. Yeah, you? everybody <laughs> goes, okay. Okay, this is serious now. The chips are down though, aren't they really now? Because we're getting towards the end of the, se- the, the series. Yeah. So, the, if, I w- if I would have kept being called a daft nickname, I'm going to have to really up my game, is what I thought. <laughs> Speaking of which, Turner, uh, yeah. what's your answer to this? What, what, what can oh, you give well, us? If you think Steiner's plan was bulletproof. Whose? Oh, Lord Manly Supreme. Yeah, you owe me a compliment now. Yeah. Uh, you're not as ugly as people say you are. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, if you think uh, Lord Manly Supreme's uh, plan was foolproof, mine certainly isn't. <laughs> <laughs> Having a murderous, highly skilled murderer at your beck and call is well and good. But where will the killing stop? Will Lady Vin Diesel not cease her slaughter <laughs> until the entire town is six feet under? Using a phantom of folklore is a good start, but simply the incorrect choice of spectre yes there is an older more sinister apparition perfectly adept at causing mistrust and disgust in equal measure i am course talking about the master of clandestine defecating the phantom shitter (laughs) yes ever since the invention of the water closet and the very first poo joke People have been finding increasingly more devious ways to make themselves laugh and gross others out when dropping the kids off at the pool. None more so than the Phantom Shitter. The Phantom's origins are widely speculated, but we now know that it is not the work of the devil, just some high-spirited scallywags out for some cheap laughs by pinching off a loaf in bizarre places. (laughs) However, for the purpose of this story and the highly superstitious times the world is set, things may seem a little bit more spooky. Lady Van Tassel, of course, devises the plan while perched upon the porcelain throne or wooden box or whatever they use at the time after a particularly bad case of the trots. Thank goodness my husband wasn't here to smell that P.U., she says, wafting the odour out the window. A little brown nugget of an idea pops into her head and she sets about her plan. (laughs) A careful diet of the stinkiest foods known to man, plenty of root vegetables, eggs and beans, she is ready to poop. In the dark of night, she sets about pooping wherever it takes her fancy to sow distrust and disgust. She releases the chocolate hostages in the magistrate's chambers and in the doctor's practice. People are outraged and suspect it the hijinks of the young people in the town and are told to cease and desist immediately unless they wish to be locked up. However, Lady Van Tassel continues to plant corn hither and thither. She also gets the Hessian to help, as the poo from hell must be absolutely horrendous. She releases the Kraken once more in the Van Garrett household, and the stench is enough to finish off the entire family. And if it isn't, she has the horsemen around as a backup. Ichabod Crane is never called for, and the whole event is put down to poor sewage system or blinking kids. With the town beginning to smell like an open sewer and people are dying of shock, or from the foul odour of hell, <laughs> townsfolk start to leave the sleepy hamlet. This leaves Lady VT to finally file some paperwork 
for the last time and enjoy her inheritance. And I'll f- leave saying this, poo jokes aren't my favourite, but they're a solid number two. <laughs> Beautiful. Nice. I think most little towns like this at this time would have stank of shit anyway. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. people are probably well and truly used to the smell of honking logs. Yeah, but what this is, it's it's like tipping the barrier. You know, you can live with so much oxygen, can't you? It drops and or a certain amount of gas or something in the air. But then when she starts dropping these absolutely atomic bombs everywhere, then it just pushes the smell of shit over over the edge, and people start dying. Okay, so they're they're being poisoned by the stench. Yes. What's she eating? Root vegetables, eggs, and legumes. Oh, uh, so she's having your diet essentially. <laughs> Precisely, and um, as as we well know, and Craig has documented a few times, <laughs> he does have to edit out my uh, bowel movements frequently. <laughs> I didn't know you were shitting, though. I thought you were just fine. Uh, well, <laughs> I am sitting on. I'm, I am on a commode. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, trousers you... down. <laughs> Clean the part up for me, Petra. I've done. Bedroom. <laughs> Bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> I, I make notes of everyone's plans to refer back to during the vote and uh, the first note I wrote on your plan was Lady Vin Diesel you drew me in with that that was pleasing yeah. <laughs> you did lose me in a couple of places and, and what they were yeah so the first one is you said if this plan doesn't work she's still got the horseman as a, like a fallback plan yeah but you also said that you know Crane doesn't come, but if you start using Horseman, Crane would come, right? Yeah, but he d- she doesn't need him in the end. That's why she's devised this plan because she thought, well. Oh, so you that- say, oh, you, it was a, a purely like a hypothetical if it didn't mm-hmm. work. You're mm-hmm. not saying, like, mm-hmm. okay, okay, right, right, right. She does have the Horseman shitting around town. That's yeah. this, is, this comes to my second <laughs> question. Well, everybody's got to go. Everybody poops, don't they? There's that book, Everybody Poops. Well, does a headless Horseman poop? He's not eating, though. He hasn't got a head. He's just <laughs> tipping it in through the neck hole. <laughs> Cans of beans. Getting it over his big collar. <laughs> it's like he got a funnel into his neck hole like that and just tipping the beans slowly dribbling in. It's like a Mike Mignola character funnel head. <laughs> I'm picturing Lady Van Tassel and the, the horseman on a little tartan mat, yeah. uh, blanket, big tub of beans. Feeding each other. Lady Van Tassel say oh. one for... One for me and one for you, Knuckle. One for me and another for you. Pushing the bean down as well into his knuckle. And the headless horseman, every time he gets beans in his throat, he's clapping. <laughs> he's got like a scoopy bib on as well. Oh, oh. A black scoopy bib. <laughs> All right. Any more questions for Adam? I would just like to add, as I was searching euphemisms for going to the toilet, for going number two, my favourite one that I didn't add in here was, it's a new one, and it's called Taking the Hobbits to Isengard. <laughs> <laughs> Which I am going to use from now on. <laughs> what about dropping the one ring into Mount Doom? That's one. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Mm, I like that. Oh, that sounds like you'll have to go to hospital though. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can we have Gareth's Antifa plan, or just Gareth's plan? Lady Van Tassel understands the power of the written word. 
we witness the horseman being sent to dispose of Van Garrett before his amended will can be delivered at the opening of the film, of course. But perhaps the written word is all that she needs. Perhaps a strong wrist, good penmanship, a quill and several sheets of parchment is all that she needs to gain control of the estates she claims are hers. The cunning letters would read thus. Good morning, dear beneficiary. I felt so bad when your payment files was forwarded to my office. How could you keep trusting people and at the end you will lose your hard-earned money? Or are you being deceived by their big names? They impersonate on many offices claiming to be governors, lords, chairmen of one office or the other. Their game plan is only just to extort your hard-earned money. Now, the question is how long you will continue to be deceived. Sometimes they will issue you fake cheque, introduce you to fake diplomatic delivery and existing banking and they will also fake transfer your fund with payment stop order and even send you fake promissory cards. Anyway, by virtue of my position, I've been following this transaction from inception and all your efforts towards realising the fund. More often than not, I sit down and laugh at your ignorance and that of those who claim they are assisting you. It is very unfortunate that at the end you lose. Although I don't blame you because you're not here in Nigeria to witness the processing of your payment in Nigeria. The problem... The problem you are having is that you have not been told the whole truth about this transaction and it is because of this truth they decided to be extorting your estate. The most annoying part is even fraudsters have really taken advantage of this opportunity to enrich themselves at your expense. They claim that they are helping you and you forward all the fraudulent telegrams you receive to them. At the end, they do nothing about the fraudsters. Soon. They will ask you to pay money to receive a compensation of your various estates. Do not pay any money to them because they are only interested in your entire estates and you will never receive any compensation in return. They will always keep asking for more land. Please, I beseech you to stop pursuit of shadows and being deceived. Feel free to contact me immediately you receive this missive so that I can explain to you the modes operands guiding this release of your payment. Do not panic. Be assured that this arrangement will be guided by your embassy here in Nigeria. (laughs) You are urgently requested to provide me with the following information. Full name, address, your country, horse and cart license number, land registry (laughs) number and marriage certificate. Contact me upon receipt of this mail if you wish to receive your fund and stop wasting your hard-earned money. Yours sincerely, Senator Orji Uzokalu, Nigerian Embassy. (laughs) Put the official wax seal on that shit and get it over to Lord Van Tassel post-haste. The officious and well-phrased document will find him quite unable to resist signing over all of his land and assets in rapid order. Pretty cunning, eh? Wow. So your plan is to send Lord Van Tassel a Nigerian spam email? Yeah. Nigerian spam parchment. Yeah, because they always work, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> no involvement uh, from the Hessian in that plan either. No, not needed. <laughs> Maybe you could get him to deliver the letter if you wanted. Deliver the letter, <laughs> the sooner the better. <laughs> Wipe a little bit of uh, parchment on his skull so that he uh, knows what he's looking for. <laughs> How would she get the Van Garrett estate as well? Would she do something similar? <gasps> oh... Oh yeah, it's um, numerous 
identical letters. She's sending them yeah. to far far and wide. She can claim as much land as she wants with that. She could, she could be the queen yeah. of America before long. I'm thinking one word. Infallible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's fallible. Boy Landau, uh, is he already dead in this? Uh, no, because the horseman gets him. She's not using the horseman. She's sending him the, the Nigerian letter. So this is a little problem I have with yours and, in fact... I think everybody's plans that so nobody's taking revenge on Van Garrett for what he did. Isn't taking everybody's land revenge enough? I gave him smallpox. Van Garrett? Yeah, didn't, didn't you hear that there was that? No, yeah, see, yeah. What I did, what I did was I solved it with one line. It was very clever. Very clever. <laughs> I solved it with one line. There was, there was this line you'll remember. Did Dirk Van Garrett yeah, reply? Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, my dear. Yeah. He'll be here with his boy. Yeah. Got them yeah. both, mate. Got them yeah, both. Got them both. <laughs> smallpox yeah. the fuck out of them. Yeah. No, it's all, not, not a nice way to go either. So, okay. All right, all right. According to Britannica.com, modern Nigeria dates from 1914. Oh. Well, that'll be just because it had a colonial name, so you can switch out the the name in my plan to right. whatever the colonial name was. Yeah. Mm, well, mm. we'd be more authentic mm. if you had... <laughs> Nigeria it's, it was, it's been known Zimbabwe. as the Kingdom of Neri, Benin Empire, the o- Oyo Empire. Never mind, guys. Better luck next week. <laughs> Some truly diabolical schemes there. But there can only be one winner, two winners, or four winners, but never three winners. So there can only be two or three losers. It's time to cast your votes. And please remember, you may not vote for yourself. Benny, you ready? And uh, you're wonderful. I forgot to call you Lord Manly Supreme. Yay. You're a wonderful human. Okay. Gats, who have you voted for? I voted for Lord Manly Supreme. Yes. Lord Manly Supreme, who have you voted for? I voted for Gaz, actually. Turn who you voted for. I have voted for the most infallible plan, which is Lord Manly Supreme. Yes. And I have voted for Gaz. So it's a tie. Ooh. Lord Ooh. Manly Supreme Ooh. and Gaz both racking up some points. I thought I'd had the points in the bag this week. I, I, I was convinced as well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was very good, but... Turns into come dine with me now, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> why? Why? How is it? Because I'm voting oh, for the person. Got, you pushed his button so beautifully. There. <laughs> yeah. That was. No, no. Listen. Yeah. That was. Yeah. Listen, dickheads. <laughs> I'm voting for the person who is who is now going to go ahead of me. Why is that? That's not tactical. That's the opposite of tactical. If I was voting tactical, I'd vote. I'd vote for He's you. Teasing you, Craig, and you walk right into it. Come on. <laughs> oh, we're going to need right. a bigger boat. Uh, that was beautiful. He played you like a goddamn fiddle, Craig. <laughs> I played you like a balalaika. <laughs> All right, then. How was that done to the diabolical leaderboard, gals? Big changes, big changes. Streaking into the lead with eight and a half points is myself, Gaz. In second spot is Craig with seven and a half points. Ooh. In 
third spot with five and a half points is Lord Manly Supreme. And bringing up the rear with four and a half points is Adam. Wanka. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm so mad. Oh. Uh, I love you, really. Oh, uh, yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> Someone's got to be at the bottom turn. It may as well be you. Yeah, in the rear with the gear. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Next week, Gareth will be hosting. And what diabolical film will you be subjecting us to? Well, this one was like a worldwide phenomenon for about three or four years. And now it just seems to have vanished. And I've recently gotten back into it. So we're watching the American version of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Okay. And that about does it for this episode. Thank you for listening. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe. Leave us a review on the very platform on which you're currently listening. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at DiabolicalPod. Next week, we'll be competing to improve on the diabolical plan of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Until then, mind your head. Don't go losing your head. I won't, I won't go, go losing, losing my, my head. head. Don't go losing my... I won't go losing my head. Okay, now that he's back from having a shit, let's have <laughs> Gareth's plan. <laughs> Are we doing the Dutch names now? I just did. Okay. Yeah. I just didn't uh, notice <laughs> Craig mentioned it. Okay. Uh, Your life is just one confused fog, isn't it? <laughs> Bloody hell. <laughs> It's because you cheat. It's because you've got a mirror in front of your door, I'm telling you. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Busting all that energy right out of your house. Who can do the best Crystal Walker impression? Not me. Kevin Spacey by a mile. Really good. Really good. <laughs> Until then, I haven't written a, an out, out for a long <laughs> I'm about to say, mind your head, and then just sign up. <laughs> mind yeah. the gap. Until then, what? mind your head, mind how you go, and mind your head. Don't be good. And see <laughs> you later, and goodbye. It's not a bad idea, actually. Uh... Until then. Ah! Ah! <laughs> <laughs> ah!